The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm June Grasso sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. The House Judiciary Committee recommends the impeachment of Donald Trump in a party line vote today. And the Supreme Court agrees to hear those cases involving subpoenas for Trump's financial records. In the UK, a sweeping victory for Boris Johnson gives him a mandate to complete Brexit and... Details of the U.S.-China trade deal are still murky. Well, it's been quite a week. A trade deal, a U.K. election, and, of course, impeachment. After marathon sessions yesterday, the House Judiciary Committee recommended the impeachment of Donald Trump in a party-line vote this morning that took less than half an hour and reflected the bitter partisan disagreement. Just hours later, Trump declared the impeachment vote an embarrassment to our country. I think it's a horrible thing to be using the tool of impeachment which is supposed to be used in an emergency and it would seem many, many, many years apart to be using this for a perfect phone call where the president of that country said there was no pressure whatsoever, didn't even know what we were talking about. Uh, It was perfect. So President Trump sticking to the way he has described that conversation from the beginning as perfect. Joining me tonight, Mark Ross, CEO of Caracal Global, Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter, and Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult. So, Emily, I'll start with you because Committee Chair Jerry Nadler recessed without taking a vote last night, and the Republicans were none too happy about that. So what what was your impression of the vote today? Well, the vote today went pretty much how we expected. All the Democrats voted in favor of the articles of the impeachment. All the Republicans voted to oppose. Uh, It was a party line vote. And now we're going to see the process move on to the floor of the House. That vote at this point is going to be scheduled for Wednesday. And we're going to see one more hearing on this. Uh, The bill, the articles rather, come before the Rules Committee on Tuesday night. And it sounds like members there, uh, that also might be a very long hearing, and members there will be able to sort of say their piece on whether they support or oppose the articles. So, Mark, the way the Democrats have handled this, do you think, do you approve of their strategy or do you think too many hearings, too much of the same thing? Well, I did say, actually, I said on the show in September that I predicted that Trump would be impeached either by this Congress or certainly the next Congress. So I totally approve of what the Democrats have done. I think um, clearly anybody who's taken even the most basic constitutional law classes would realize that the president has gone too far 
and the whole Article 2 checks and balances system that we have here in the United States demanded simply that the House of Representatives had to do something. I mean, this behavior is not a hoax. It's very problematic. And it also set a tone, and a sh uh, you know, an indication to President Trump, if he is reelected, this behavior is not acceptable. So, Eli, it doesn't seem as if President Trump, despite the fact that he is most likely going to be impeached by next week, thinks that there's anything wrong with his with his behavior. In fact, Rudy Giuliani showed up at the White House today pretty shortly after the impeachment vote. Yeah, well, voters disagree with him. I mean, we did released some polling earlier this week at Morning Council that found about half of voters think that Trump abused his power in his dealings with Ukraine. I mean, the majority of the American public does not agree with the way Trump has handled this. They support the Democrats' impeachment probe, and those numbers are pretty solid. I mean, since the impeachment inquiry began in October, these numbers have been uh, basically the same. About half the American public supports impeaching Donald Trump. They support the Senate voting to remove him, and Trump's arguments on this have not moved voters at all. But no arguments have moved the Republicans, and it seems as if, unless something, I don't know, something, what would have to happen, Emily, to have any Republicans in the Senate, you know, go from the party line? At, at this point, it sounds like it would have to be something pretty drastic. You know, most senators have refrained from commenting in, at this point on how they might vote. They're trying to be the impartial jurors. But if you look at the House uh, Republicans, you know, a number of them have actually come out and expressed some concerns about the president's phone call, saying that it wasn't perfect, that he shouldn't have done what he done what he did. But most of them say that it's not an impeachable offense, that it does not rise to that level. And you know, I was uh, in Congress the other day trying to talk to a couple more moderate Republicans, and all of them plan on opposing uh, Trump's impeachment. So I think what's interesting, uh, if I go back to the Clinton impeachment, when those uh, articles were sent down, the Democrats in the Capitol Hill all came down to the Rose Garden, and there was an impromptu press conference, and President Clinton was surrounded by his entire caucus, his teammates, if you will, and none of that is happening with President Trump. I mean, I've yet to see a outside of Fox News and a discussion between Mitch McConnell and Sean Hannity, any kind of rousing support for the president. I mean, the thing is, you really, this is not a great situation for the president. Sure, all the indications indicate that he's going to be acquitted, but no president, no president wants to be dealing with this situation. And the longer this stretches out, who knows it's going to fall out. I mean, just this week, you know, the president is meeting with the Russian foreign minister, Giuliani's in the office. I mean, there is a cast of characters that could still come forward. You know, those, those Fox News interviews matter, though. I mean, this, this drives the Republican base in a big way we've seen. I mean, you look at many congressional districts and uh, four in 10 voters listen to Fox News every day. I mean, that's how in 2019 uh, public officials are speaking to the American people. And you've seen these Republicans on these committees really stand up for Trump strongly. Um, I think that matters in a big way, maybe even more than a Rose Garden press conference might. And I have to ask whether Trump is learning from this impeachment if he has Rudy Giuliani coming to the White House. And apparently, according to it was the Wall Street Journal reported that he was calling Giuliani while his plane was still in the process of landing. So, Mark, despite the fact that the public may be 50-50 split, it doesn't seem as if the president sees the problem with what he's been doing. 
Yeah, but, I mean, the president has a pattern. You know, the initial, if we go back to the very beginning of the Trump administration, the famous uh, June meeting during the campaign, you know, initially we were all told that Donald Jr. was meeting with these Russians to talk about adoptions, right? And that was all scrubbed and debated. And I remember about that. That seems the, like a lifetime ago. Well, that did happen. And the president, you know, on Air Force One with his top team decided to, you know, get on the same page and get the message together. So, you know, the idea that Rudy Giuliani is in the White House today is just bizarre, to say the least. Like, no proper campaign professional would suggest that this is the proper strategy to show confidence. Emily, another thing that happened today is we saw some sound from Mitch McConnell from an interview he did, and he basically said, he did say this, I'm going to take my cues from the president's lawyers about the impeachment trial ahead. Now, normally you would expect that both sides would at least give the appearance of being neutral on what's going to happen uh, coming up. And certainly the, the Senate, the man who's going to be deciding the major issues of this. Are you hearing any any uh, kickback from that? You know, I think Mitch McConnell also mentioned that, you know, at this point he said, we know how this is going to go. Right. That they don't have Democrats do not have the votes um, to remove Trump from office and that, you know, he's basically going to be acquitted. Um, obviously, we don't know, know that. Uh, none of us have a future ball, crystal ball and can see the future. But at this point, it really doesn't kind of seems like that's going to be the way that it is. And I think you see McConnell just being very clear about that. Um, you know, he's, I think, always, at least for the last couple sessions, been very much in step with the White House and with President Trump on most issues. Uh, Eli, you wanted some final words there about uh, about Mitch McConnell's role here? Yeah, sure. Look, look um, he's got an election coming up next year in Kentucky, a uh, red state, but uh, uh, he needs Donald Trump just like everybody else. And it's hard, it's really hard to see, see a number of Republicans breaking from the president on this. This would be a, a step too far, I think, for a lot of folks. Coming up, Boris Johnson gets a mandate to complete Brexit with a really sweeping, overwhelming win, you might say. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. I'm June Grasso. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. This was one of the most successful weeks of the Trump presidency. USMCA, China, military, the third consecutive military pay raise, third consecutive investment in our military of over $700 billion. They have more resources, more respect. NDAA, paid family leave, Space Force, and it's only Friday. Who knows what it'll do tomorrow? That's a... Uh White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway apparently forgetting about the impeachment as she uh, recounted the banner week it was at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm joined by Mark Ross, CEO of Caracal Global, Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter, and Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Con Consult. So the U.S. and China did agree to the details of a first phase of a broader trade agreement in a move that will see the U.S. reduce tariffs that were scheduled to come up. So at least temporarily it calms the fears of an escalating trade war between the world's two largest economies. But Mark, the details are sketchy. Uh, yeah, I think you're being uh, generous. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's been called a historic deal, but there's, there's no public ceremony, no public text, there's no handshakes. Uh, you know, we've seen no really agreement on either side or even within the administration what's going on. I mean, I think the most positive thing 
uh, I can say about what has happened over the last 24 hours is that clearly both sides have de-escalated this trade friction. Uh, stopping additional tariffs is definitely a positive situation, but um, where we go from here, you know, when does phase two start? When are these soybeans all going to be bought? How is China going to protect IP protection? I mean, there are, the thing about the U.S.-China relationship, there's a lot of complex issues. There's nearly 100 sectors of the Chinese economy that are off limits to foreign companies. Uh, these are issues that are front and center and that need to be addressed. But certainly, I would say it's a positive step in the sense that we've stopped the friction. Emily, uh, Democrats, of course, criticized the deal, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said that Trump sold out for a temporary and unreliable promise from China to purchase soybeans. Any clues as to why the agreement? Was it just to make sure that those tariffs didn't come into play and then escalate the trade war more? Well, I think we're still seeing a lot of details from the trade agreement slowly, slowly begin to come out um, on this late Friday afternoon. Uh, when we were seeing that, and then we're also beginning to see the details from the USMCA, the United States, Mexico, and Canada agreement. The White House just sent that over to the House, and the text has just been released. So we've got Bloomberg reporters going through the entire 250 <laughs> pages right now Good luck. and trying to figure out what the most important bits and pieces of it are. And so... Part of it is that uh, Trump is, is trying to save some very important sectors of the economy to, to uh, him in his reelection. Of course, the farmers. And so I think that, um, Eli, do you have a, a, a poll coming out from Morning Consult or that's come out about the trade war? Well, we found that uh, consumer confidence among um, agriculture uh, workers has lagged and in the last few weeks has start, started to improve. Um, look, this is a big deal for Donald Trump. The economy, voters trust Donald Trump more than any Democratic presidential candidate um, right now to handle the economy. Um, this is something that uh, to get him across the finish line amid all this impeachment stuff um, is, is pretty necessary for him to flex that he's gotten some things done. Um, and, and look, politically for Democrats, uh, there's, there's questions among the, the liberals, but um, among the folks who won the majority for the House Democrats, I mean, giving, uh, showing that you can kind of walk and chew gum, that you can pass a uh, economic bill like this at the same time impeachment is happening is probably a political win for them, too. So, Mark, my question is, this this deal is is right now. We don't know how how it's going to work out. What we're, what kind of benefits farmers and others are going to see, but come election time and come November, is this still going to be a win for Donald Trump? Um, sure. I mean, if you listen to him, I'm sure he'll say it's a win. Um, you know, maybe well, he'd be... say it was a win even if it wasn't a win. <laughs> this is true. It's always a win. This is great. Um, I mean, I would say no. I've been very bearish on this. I mean, talking to some of my friends that, you know, do this on a daily basis, one of them said this is a nothing burger. Um, you know, they can try to spin it as they want. But one of them suggested that the Team Trump chickened out and caved in on tariffs. Uh, you've seen what Chuck Schumer has said. I don't know. It's, you know, a, it's a long time to the election, frankly. Um, even Kudlow called this a living document. I mean... <laughs> You know, like we're the have Constitution. To, exactly. We're going to have to stay on top of China. Um, it is positive. It's a win. I mean, in some ways, uh, Team Trump, they're day traders. I mean, you just heard the litany of what Kelly, Con Kelly, Kelly Conway was saying, what they achieved just this week. Um, I don't know. Can they keep this going? It's hard to say. I mean, this isn't – if this was such a historic deal, 
there'd be pomp and circumstances, there'd be an official signing ceremony, Trump and Xi would be getting together. It doesn't have all the hallmarks of the most historic deals we've seen put together by nations. So, Emily, does this remind you of any other almost deals that, that Trump has, has put together in the end where he seems to you know, give in a lot of, uh, to a lot of points? That's a good question. Um, I mean, this particular one, you know, they've been, this has been something they've been working on for a while. Uh, the negotiations, the back and forth between the U.S. and China. Um, you know, I, I think it is interesting. The part of the agreement includes, I think it's, believe it's 50 billion that China will buy of U.S. agriculture products. And there are questions being raised of exactly how China is going to do that. I believe in the past, the highest amount that they've ever purchased, I want to say was 29 billion or somewhere around there. Correct. Yeah. Close to 30 billion. So sure. Is there another 20 billion out there? Well, it's also, totally what, possible. About, <laughs> what about the IP? I mean, that was always one of the, you know, the critical points of this trade deal and one of the hardest points. And, and this doesn't address that at all, does it? Well, in China's defense, they have made progress with intellectual property rights. It's nowhere near to the standard that we enjoy here in the United States. And they've made commitments before. Uh, they've said they've made commitments in this phase one deal. So that is a positive. Um, but, you know, the challenge with the IPR overall is that China literally needs to change their laws to uh, enforce intellectual property rights. And as they move up the economic ladder, they're obviously going to want to protect that. But um, I think the key thing, if I could just reiterate, is that this is a, a stopping, you know, we've de-escalated the tension between U.S. and China, and maybe going into 2020, we can see some positive engagement between the two sides. So, Eli, is this a political win in that Trump can now say when he tries to get reelected that, hey, my trade tariffs worked. Look what happened. I mean, it's all about the headlines for him. I mean, he has headlines today that says he won and he gets to go sell that case to voter, voters every day, every day now. And between this, between the China deal and the USMCA, um, he can take both of these out to the parts of the country where he needs to win. Um, look, you know, the impeachment has not dampened his approval nationwide much. In fact, among Republicans, it's strengthened. Um, he, he is not as weak as some might think he is. Um, and a lot of that we're seeing is being driven by the economy. And so he needs the economy to stay good through 2020 to, to pull off a victory. I think in, uh, also politically in Trump's defense, I think, and you actually even see this, what happened with Boris Johnson in the election across the pond yesterday. Um, Trump has done a really good job of like stealing, if you will, um, kind of Democrat talking points. You know, there, in some ways, whoever wins the nomination the Democrat Party, there's not going to be a lot of space between uh, that candidate and President Trump and how they want to deal with China and the use of tariffs. Well, in the US, USMCA in particular, we've seen Republican senators just put some distance between themselves and Trump. And it's been some Democrats who've been standing with him on this, which is kind of an interesting moment. Yeah, well, so I think that's going to be interesting, especially as we look at the uh, Great Lakes state, especially Michigan and how people vote there. Um, it'll be interesting how that plays out. So today, yeah, as you said, Eli, a victory for Trump. Winning today, getting good headlines, so probably positive. But looking deep inside, not really much there. There is always a but, it seems. And coming <laughs> up, we're going to be talking about, you brought up Boris Johnson. Uh, some are seeing this as a harbinger for the U.S. elections in 2020, which can't make the Democrats very happy. I'm June Grasso, sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I am forming a new government and on Monday MPs will arrive at Westminster to form a new parliament. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is celebrating a historic majority for his Conservative Party in Parliament. President Trump congratulated the Prime Minister. I've been talking with Mark Ross, CEO of Caracol Global, Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter, and Eli Yokley, political reporter for Morning Consult. So, Mark, according to the Bloomberg news story, Boris Johnson was stunned momentarily when he saw the huge victory he was going to have. Yeah, well, the polls all indicated that, that the uh, conservatives were going to do well, but nobody really expected them to do so well. I mean, there was ideas that he'd come in with a majority of maybe 30, 35 seats, but to get close to a majority of 80, I mean, this is like a realignment. It's going to change UK politics for a generation. I mean, really, we're looking at Boris Johnson probably being prime minister now for the next two terms for a decade. Um, this is a major number, um, breaking down new folks coming into the conservative party. So a really, really big victory for Boris Johnson. For, for a, a decade, huh? Suppose Brexit does not go as well as he expects. Yeah, what's interesting with such a large... So, I just step back. I think the first thing that's going to happen is we're definitely going to see the UK leave the European Union on January 31st. That'll happen. Uh, they'll you know, do some preliminary work in December, take the holidays off, come back, and quickly move out of that. But that means, uh, you know, we promptly start negotiations of what the future relationship is between the United Kingdom and the European Union. It's interesting today, Angela Merkel, uh, the German leader, said that now uh, England and now the United Kingdom is a competitor on the doorstep of the European Union, almost sending a message to uh, maybe London and Boris Johnson, like, hey, let's find a way to work together and make sure that this is a smooth transition. Because this impacts not only, uh, obviously, what happens in England, but also in Germany, France, Italy, and I would even dare say the United States. Tell me how he worked his magic, because with all the problems that with Brexit, and I don't know if, if they've solved the uh, the Irish backstop or anything along that line, but how did he manage to convince uh, the people of the UK that uh, to go forward and go forward with him? I mean, Boris Johnson, it's really interesting. A year ago, he's a backbencher. That means he was out of government. He was just like any other uh, member of parliament. And now here we are. He's the prime minister and he's on the doorstep of being the most powerful prime minister since Blair and certainly the most powerful conservative prime minister since Margaret Thatcher. Like I said, he has got such a big majority. Um, he'll be in for, t it's very likely he'll be in for two terms in a decade. Um, I think what is really interesting is they went after new voters that they normally hadn't gotten before. They went into very blue, uh, sorry, very red labor districts. They also made the case like, listen, let's get Brexit done. That was said over and over and over again. Uh, the Labor Party really had no clear message. The Liberal Democrats had no clear message. And Corbyn was monumentally uh, disastrous in terms of his approval ratings mm -hmm. and disapproval. I mean, uh, you couldn't ask for a better candidate for Boris Johnson to run against. You know, some of the disapproval numbers just for since November on Corbyn, high 60s, 68, 66, 65, 68. I mean, these are uh, monumental numbers. But a decade, uh, though, when I hear a decade for a political leader, I am taken aback. 
Now, this is really, I, I can't impress enough to our listeners, like this is a monumental uh, step that has happened. This is a huge inflection point, major transition. Not only is the conservative party brought in new voters. Uh, if you listen to what Boris Johnson was saying today, being much more conciliatory, I mean, the, the historic seats that they've now brought in that have been labor seats for nearly 100 years that are now part of the uh, conservative coalition, uh, and it was such a large number getting past Brexit, you could really see uh, Boris Johnson and his team really putting in place a whole new dynamic that we haven't seen before in British politics. And so, oh, go ahead. I would also say, um, just as it's been very successful, what's going to happen in Scotland is equally interesting. The Scottish National Party had a bang-up night. They won nearly 80% of the seats in uh, Scotland, and Nicola Sturgeon, the leader there, is already demanding an independent referendum. They've made clear that they want to be a part of the European Union. So at the same time, we have all this joy and celebration in London and what's happened with the Conservatives winning Westminster. Uh, things up north are going to be very dicey for the uh, mm. Johnson leadership going forward. And already... He, he won today and this afternoon I was already seeing the, the debates about what this means. Is this a harbinger for our election in 2020? Do you see similarities? No, I do. There's a lot of people that say, oh, there's no connection. But I think any political pro was clearly watching the results last night. I mean, enough of us spend time in London and friends in Westminster. So, you know, monitoring what's happening. There's a lot of folks that work on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean on campaigns now. And you also saw today from Larry Sabato of UVA, uh, Joe Biden, even Mike Bloomberg, all saying, listen, this is a warning shot. If we elect somebody who's too far to the left, um, it's going to be disastrous for the Democratic Party. And like getting back, to, I mean, enough is not going to be talked about, but Corbyn's numbers are a disaster of monumental proportions. I mean, he is so disliked. I mean, you could not ask for a better <laughs> opponent for Boris Johnson. I can't impress upon that enough. All right. Well... We shall see what happens, and we're going to be talking about our elections coming up here right after this break. And just a reminder that you can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or just by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. I'm June Grosso. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm June Grasso sitting in for Kevin Cirilli on this Friday evening. Well, seven presidential candidates have qualified for the Democratic debate next week. But will there be a debate? All of the Democratic presidential candidates have said they will not cross a planned picket line at the event. And they'll skip the event if there is a picket line. So... My guests are Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult, Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter, and Mark Ross, CEO of Caracol. So, Eli, it seems like the DNC just can't get a break because this is the second time they've moved it, is it? They may have to move it. Yeah, we'll see what happens this next week. I mean, if you're this union, this was a pretty good timing to, uh, to stand <laughs> up with good. a strike. Um, look, 150 look, members, I think. If, if you're if you're a Democratic candidate for president, the last thing you want to do in in December before an election is to cross a, a labor union uh, picket line. So they're going to have to figure this out in the next few days. Um, you know, look, I would anticipate they probably will, but uh, you know, it's 2019, 2020, things are crazy. Uh, but this this race has been uh, has been relatively fluid. Uh, we saw Kamala Harris since the last debate has has dropped out. Um, all the other top candidates saw just a little bit of an increase, but this has been pretty 
pretty solid. Um, we'll see what ha- if people are watching this debate next week. You know, we, we, we just released a big project at Morning Console looking how much voters had seen, read, and heard about a lot of the news of the year. And the last couple of debates were on the list, list of thing, things that voters did not hear a lot about. These were not a breaking through to, to everybody overall. So um, maybe these will take off more as we get into 2020. But at least for these last couple of rounds, these debates have not broken through to folks. Mark, no, Eli, I okay, was going to say, um, yeah, Eli, we were talking off air about that. I mean, is this a convenient way? I don't want to be cynical, but is this a convenient way? Be cynical for us. Okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> is this a great way for these candidates who have campaigned endlessly, we're coming to the end of the year, that frankly probably want a break? Is this a convenient way to not debate? I, I just can't imagine expecting them not to debate. I mean, especially if you're... Andrew Yang, some of these other candidates that did, Amy Klobuchar, some of these candidates that did make the debate stage who are not polling very high. Uh, you cannot imagine them not wanting to have one of these national moments. If you're Joe Biden, that might be a different story. I mean, Or this maybe is- if you're Pete Buttigieg this time around, because I think it's his turn to get a lot of sharp questions, Mark. Um, absolutely. I think uh, the whole uh, dust up between Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete over, uh, you know, his work with McKinsey, you know, even this week he's getting more protests about being Wall. I saw there was a chant calling him Wall Street Pete, which I thought was pretty crazy. Um, How know, long maybe did he work at McKinsey? Long enough to be uh, a, bad, a bad guy, I guess. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's such, such a long season. Um, I don't know. And you're right. The numbers are down. Who's watching these debates? I guess, you know, you've got activities surrounding I'm going to confess, I didn't even watch last time because I had <laughs> impeachment fatigue. <laughs> I just, you know, this time I'll watch if it happens. But um, you, you also are not seeing, you know, it's, they're not so lively most of the time. Well, they're not so lively because I think they're actually uh, serious discussions, unlike maybe the uh, last cycle (laughs) with the uh, Republicans, uh, legitimate discussions about serious policy, which can be a little tedious at times. My my hope as a reporter and somebody who enjoys the process is we talk about something else this time. I mean, a lot of the questions have been the same. Well, it's been a lot of the same questions so far. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've asked the same questions about Medicare for all the whole time. Uh, We haven't talked a lot about climate change, one of these issues that really drives uh, the conversation for young voters. Questions involving um, African-American issues have really not taken the forefront. Even women have what not had a big... What about the Supreme big... Court? I mean, We've I know seen that's a few not questions about the Supreme area, Court, but, but it's I mean, a... yeah. things it's are getting a... very, very serious now, I think people can see, with the, the importance of uh, the next justice. Yeah, it's made up a pretty small chunk of debate questions so far. We dropped a big study on this a few weeks ago, actually. Um, it's not something moderators have spent a lot of time looking into, but um, you do have the prospect that in the next couple of years there will be a Supreme Court seat opening up. You've seen even now uh, Democratic advocacy groups come out and ask uh, ask the Democratic candidates to do what Trump did and put out a list of names that would appoint to the court. So there is definitely an a- activist push for that, but uh, something other than healthcare might be kind of interesting. Emily, let's let's turn to Congress for a moment. Um, and there's been a lot of talk during the impeachment debates about. Democrats losing the majority in Congress because of impeachment. Sure. I mean, that's something that I think Republicans are definitely trying to scare up. And I have to imagine that'd be something in the back of the mind of a lot of moderate Democrats. I mean, remember, in 2018, Democrats flipped 41 seats. They also won 31 seats 
in districts that had voted for Trump in 2016. And so many of these lawmakers are trying to now weigh whether they're going to support impeaching a president that their constituents voted for. Uh, the last time that we did the impeachment process vote, this was the other month, uh, you only saw two, uh, two Democrats decide to oppose going forward. That was Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey and Colin Peterson of Minnesota. This time, you might see more. There's been some discussion that there might be additional names, although at this point, we haven't seen any. We spoke with a lot of lawmakers before they left for the weekend. They said they were going to take time. They were going to review the documents. They were going to talk to constituents. They were going to prey on it. So we'll see, I think, when they come back Monday or uh, even before then, what their final decisions are. And we've already seen a number of some of these moderate Democrats start coming out in favor of impeachment articles. And so um, this is, I think, going to be a more of a uniting vote than a dividing vote for House Democrats. Uh, the political peril is a question that's still open, although uh, right now, um, uh, over a year out or less than a year out, we're seeing Democrats leading on the generic ballot in a big way. And so, uh, I, I, look, uh, elections, the issues that matter in elections are often decided in October and September of, of the year. Um, impeachment's probably a little bit different, but uh, we can't forget about what's to come. The New York Times is reporting that President Trump is considering talking with his advisors about sitting out the general election debates in 2020. He says it's because of the misgivings about the commission that oversees them. So, Mark, that would mean that we don't need a great debater for the Democratic candidate. Yeah, and going back to the other side of the pond uh, during the U.K. elections, uh, Boris Johnson famously sat out an interview with Andrew Neil, who's one of the uh, you know, legends of interviewing there with the BBC. And that was seen as, uh, you know, obviously by the London press elite as being totally outrageous and undignified, but it didn't impact Boris Johnson one bit. And I think it's a real uh, testament that, you know, the structure of what's kind of done in the past doesn't really matter, engaging the press. I mean, Trump at any given time sending out 100 plus tweets in a day has the ability to command the media attention. Uh, debating in some ways doesn't really get him anything. Uh, you're already seeing less people watch. I don't know. It's an interesting strategy. I don't think I, you know, it's not going to hurt him with his voters exactly. and his, his supporters. It's going to hurt him uh, maybe with suburban moderates, but that might not matter. And so, he's tested these political norms before. I mean, we still haven't seen Trump's tax returns. He does not go out and shake voters' hands very often. He hasn't done a town hall since when. Um, look, the, it, it's hard to expect him skipping these because we, you know, that he loves the fight. Um, but, uh, Folks haven't seemed to care yet that he, he's ignoring these norms. But it's also a testament that any given time, Trump can say something and we all go chase it and like it's something we have to talk about. I mean, they are truly the masters of being like, let's distract everybody today. Get yeah. them distraction, about definitely distraction. And also he's great at giving people names, you know, little names that, uh, that, that seem to stick with them for a long time. So we shall see what happens. And just a reminder, the Supreme Court is going to be considering whether those, those financial records and tax returns are going to be revealed to Congress or to one of the, uh, or to the Manhattan DA who is investigating Trump. So that does it for this Friday. Thank you all. That's Mark Ross, CEO of Caracal Global, Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning, Morning Consult, and our own Emily Wilkins, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter. That does it for this edition of Sound On. Kevin Cirilli will be back with you on Monday. I'm June Grasso. Have a great weekend. And remember, download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.